Uh, but we have been in the middle of a sermon series for the last several weeks, and it's kind of starting to wind down now. And as it winds down, it's getting more and more practical with steps that we need to take as a church to move past, past this place of hurt in our lives, thank you, to a place of victory, because that is the goal. We, we don't want to be the same. We specifically don't want to be the same as people around us that don't have Jesus running their lives, ruling in their hearts. And so if we look the same, which oftentimes we do, there's a fundamental problem in what we say we believe and how we actually operate in those beliefs. And so uh, we have been for the last several weeks in this trauma series, and where we land today is really is just a pivotal moment in the whole thing. In fact, if I was to pick one thing that really is a hang-up for people moving forward and finding freedom in Christ, it's the topic that we arrive at today, which really with no plan lands on Communion Sunday, which encompasses this whole idea of forgiveness. And so each week I've been telling you some things that are repetitious about trauma. I'm not going to repeat them all today. I, I felt like uh, before service I thought, you know, I think we get it. I do want to say this one thing, though, um, maybe just this one thing and then one other thing. Just defining it in case you're new to church. We're defining this idea of trauma as a wound that causes you to realize your world cannot be trusted. So there's this time of innocence, and, and maybe it was pretty young for you, but then you realize when this thing hits you that your world can no longer be trusted, and it really did change the trajectory of your life. But the one thing I, I do want to say, because this is something that I believe firmly as, a, as someone who, who loves God's word and someone who's worked with people now for a long time, I do want to say this one thing that I'm sure other people have said, but for me it was a light bulb moment when I wrote it down on my phone seven months ago. If you don't deal with your past, your past will what? Your past will deal with you. Good. We've all been listening. You're like, you've said that so many times now. That's the point. Uh, I firmly believe that to be true according to the Bible. I believe that to be true upon just evidence of watching your life and watching my life. And, and, and the other reality is this, that what you think is gone is simply lying dormant, which brings us to where we're at today with this idea of forgiveness. Uh, this is one of those things that we think we've done and a lot of times we haven't. And I want to build a case for that, why that's important, how that plays out in Scripture, and then most importantly, how we can walk in some freedom. And I want to say this one more time before we get started. If you skip this step, you might as well just throw in the towel because you're not going to receive the healing that God has for you in this area of your life. It really is central to the gospel, and it's central to you moving forward. And I want to start off, I haven't started off with many stories, but I want to start off with a story that I think gives this uh, through through my own mind, some, some relevance, and so how this kind of works. Um, I've told you guys before in church that I like murder mysteries. Anybody else? Anyone just have this sick mind where it doesn't bother you like it should when someone gets murdered on TV and it's true? Like a true story and it's Dateline and you can't stop watching. Is anyone else a Dateline freak? Okay, so uh, anytime something pops up that looks like you can still be a Christian and watch it, I, uh, I watch it. And so last night, my son was on a, a date, and uh, he was at the movies with, uh, he was at the movies, and, uh, <laughs> and, and then Ari was at a friend's house, and Jet had four middle high boys over at our house, and uh, so then uh, they were upstairs, and I said to Ann, I said, do you want to watch something that we normally wouldn't watch if, you know, if Ari was in the room, like something a little, a little scary, and she said, of course I do. And uh, we watched this thing on Netflix called The Worst Roommate Ever. 
Anyone? Okay, so if you haven't, you probably don't want to. But I was watching this. I thought I had seen it all. And I hadn't. I hadn't seen the worst roommate ever. And I start watching the first episode. Has anyone seen this? This little old lady looks like grandma that's going to bake you some cookies. Here's her story. Uh, It's in the 80s in Sacramento. And she looks like this woman who's caring and loving and giving. And she brings homeless people into her house with a secret agenda of murdering them. And at this point, I thought I'd seen it all. And Ann and I, and Ann's cuddling with me. I'm holding her tighter because I'm not scared, but she is. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at this, this storyline. I'm, I'm watching this lady be interviewed. And she, she's saying she didn't do it. And then they go into her backyard. I'll just keep it short. And uh, I'll, just, I'll just give it away. She, she's murdering these homeless people to collect their Social Security checks. And that she thinks no one will know they're dead. And uh, although that's a bit clever, clever, it's just completely demented. And... And so she's doing this, and she's denying it, and they say, well, let us check your backyard. She says, fine, you're not going to find anything. They start digging stuff up, dead body after dead body after dead body, seven dead people later in her backyard collecting their Social Security checks. And at this point, I I thought nothing bothers me anymore. I am completely freaked out, and I am glued to Netflix, and I'm repenting as I'm watching this, going, this is probably over the top and just evil, And I have this question, which is why I bring it up, and it's going to relate to forgiveness, I'm pretty sure here. What what do you think the first thing they did before they ever began digging was? No one's going to say it. You're all like, why would you even watch that? You're a pastor. Here's, if this doesn't work with the first service, we're bagging it, okay? Here's what they did. Here's what they always do. And here's where it's going to tie in in just a second. They take out the yellow tape. Are you familiar? They take out the yellow tape and they surround every square inch of this backyard, thank the Lord, to do what? To preserve evidence. Because they realize after the first body they find that this is something is seriously deranged with this woman. And so they protect the crime scene. No one can come in And no one can go out without authorization. They lock down this thing because they realize that there's a massive wound in this scenario and they know that it's going to be absolutely tough if it's not protected. And the reason I bring that up is it's like this, I'm I'm trying to basically just justify why I would even watch something so deranged. But I feel like when I was watching that and preparing for this morning, what I want you to hear is emotionally we do the same thing. Right? When something happens that's significant, when something happens where we realize maybe on some level that our world will never quite be as innocent or our world will never quite be the same, what we do emotionally is we create this emotional crime scene where we take out the yellow tape, where evidence can't be tampered with, and we rope it off. Now, now here's the tie-in. Maybe you get it yet. Maybe you're like, what are you talking about? This is the tie-in for me on the yellow tape. We take the yellow tape around the boundaries and recesses of our heart and our hurt and we rope them off and we make this declaration, either knowing it or not knowing it, that no one gets in. That this now emotional trauma in our life that's really become a spiritual prison has been locked down because if it's locked down and not tampered with, then nothing can affect it 
and I can still somehow say in control of what's going on. I mean, no show of hands because there's no need to, but you know and I know that's what we do. Maybe it's something that people would think is a traumatic event. Maybe it's something that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but for whatever reason for you, it has been a massive wound in your life. And so instead of processing through that, which is where we're going today, instead of processing through that, what you've done is you've taken the emotional and spiritual yellow tape, you said off limits, and now here's the scary part, and track with me. You haven't just let bad people out to feel safe. I mean, if you were going to be emotionally honest and no one knew, and it was confession time, you have, look at me, you have let Jesus Christ himself outside of that yellow tape. And so here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, regardless of the wound, and he's gonna give an extreme example, you have two objectives, and here's where we write stuff down. In fact, um, there's a lot of things to write down today. We're gonna go through the Celebrate Recovery material. We're gonna go through the text first. Each week I've given you a story of someone in trauma, This week, we're not covering a story. We're covering a command of Christ himself on the greatest sermon that's ever preached. But he gives two commands. He says, forgive and pursue forgiveness. The two objectives for myself, the two objectives for you, the two objectives for anyone that will listen that calls themselves a follower of Christ, there are two commands, forgive and pursue forgiveness. And when you do not do those two things, you take that emotional and spiritual yellow tape and you push everyone outside of those walls to preserve this crime scene that's taking place in your heart, including Christ himself. No one gets in. And so here's what he says. Matthew 5, 21. The first one is about pursuing forgiveness when you've wounded others. And we'll cover that at the end of the message. But he says this. He says, you've heard it said, verse 21, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 23, so if you are offering your gift, here's where you pursue forgiveness when you have hurt people. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're still going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. He says, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So when you have done something to offend someone else, because the reality is it's not just that people hurt us. I've told you this before, but if you've never heard it, write it down. Hurt people do what? Hurt people hurt people, that's how that works. And so the initial offense or the trauma that you went through is not your fault, but then the reaction to the trauma, which is the real issue in your life, has probably resulted in you now hurting people. And so when you've hurt people, we'll get to this later, your call and your mandate is to pursue forgiveness, and that's what he's saying in this text. Then he gets to the second half, which is when someone hurts you. Go all the way to verse 38. You've heard this even if you're not a follower of Christ. Verse 38 says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Basic justice, Old Testament justice. Everyone loves this justice. Whatever happens to you, you then have the same right to do that thing to someone else. He says, you have heard it said. You have heard it said that now we're all on the same playing field because whatever happens to you, you have the right to do to someone else. But then here's the New Testament, here's the gospel. But I say to you, 
Do not resist the one who is evil. And here's the hard command, which is why we're using this text, because I think it it hits us emotionally. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Here's what we've covered in church before, but as way of review, if you're new to New Life, I love this text. We have covered it many times. I have a question for you. There are certain things that are degrading in life. There are certain things that are harder to forgive than other things. And this is a physical example, but I think you could apply it to an emotional state. Of all the things that would be hard to deal with or forgive, the hardest things to forgive are usually those things that hurt, hurt you on a pride level. And so just as a, as a way of bringing this to light, I think this is why Jesus says it. I think it's one thing to be punched in the face. I think you can recover from that. I don't know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. But how many of you would just concede it would be much harder to deal with an open hand slap to the face as a show of utter disrespect than it would be even a punch in the midst of things getting out of control, and anger going wild. There's just something about that, in my opinion. Matt Chandler talks about that. There is something about the disgust and disdain of someone having the audacity to take their hand, I'm left-handed, and just look you in the eye and slap you straight across the face. And I'm not trying to be misogynistic, but specifically for men. There's something degrading about that. I worked in group homes for a period of time, and there were always fists flying when tempers would go amok, and there were certain things that were worse than fist flying. You know, it, I, I didn't really get slapped, but I can tell you this repeatedly, and some of you, I know you've worked in the same environments, there's nothing worse than getting spit on by a kid that's misbehaving. Why? Because it's this idea of disrespect. And so Jesus is bringing this to light. It's this idea that I would be rather knocked out cold and slapped in the face by another man. It's a shameful act. Jesus says, not only forgiving that, but if they they need something else, give them your clothes. If they ask you to run a mile, run two. This is a radical, radical teaching. And so here he says in verse 43, follow this. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he who makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing for others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is not a tough, this is not a tough command. This is a near impossible command. And here's what I know that you might know, that depending on how you walk in here and where you're at in your faith, if you're not a follower of Christ, it goes from near impossible to this other end of the spectrum to completely and utterly impossible. It will not happen in your life. And we've been in this thing four weeks, we're now five weeks, we're going to six weeks. I will tell you this, this is the linchpin This is the crux of everything that will either bring healing in your life or will hinder your ability to move forward in Christ. This is the thing where the tires and the mud spin. 
this idea of forgiveness. And so, so here's some thoughts that I have. I'm gonna get to the material in just a second, but I want you to write this down. Forgiveness doesn't feel like it, but write it down. You're not gonna see it on the screen, but I want you to write it down. Forgiveness is, at its very core, according to Jesus Christ himself, a choice. And it doesn't feel like a choice. In fact, bitterness and anger feel, and we talked about your feelings last week and the week time before that, your feelings can be good or they can deceive you. But forgiveness doesn't feel like a choice. Bitterness and anger feel like they're outside of your control. And from my, my experience with this idea of forgiveness being a choice is this, they simply never go away, and we'll get to this as well in just a second, when, when you don't make this cognizant choice, this conscious choice to forgive, these things don't go away, but instead, after a period of time, they, they appearingly lie dormant, and then that thing happens, or that person reoccur, reappears in your life, and all of those emotions start flooding back. And sometimes we choose not to forgive for way, things that are pretty trivial, trivial, and sometimes we have a very good reason, but Scripture tells us this, that we're not just supposed to forgive seven times, but 77 times seven, and it's this idea of the culture of forgiveness permeates throughout all of the Christian experience, which is why we took communion this morning. Here's another truth before we move on. You will not always get clarity as to why the person hurts you. And so if you're looking for perfect clarity in all the answers, you might as well throw in the towel because I can tell you, although sometimes you might get that, that's more the exception than the rule. It's probably not gonna happen. And so for you to ever understand every little uh, facet of why they hurt you uh, is to really hinder the process of forgiveness in and of itself. Forgiveness does not have to handle, have all the answers in order to take place. The other thing before we dig in here is I want to just bring this to light as a prerequisite for the conversation. There is this massive thing that happens with you. There's a massive thing that happens with me. You have to recognize it and own it or you're going to be sticking in the mud and your tires are going to be spinning. There is this thing called fake forgiveness. And if you don't know the, th the difference between fake forgiveness and real forgiveness, then you are absolutely stuck. Let, let me give you some examples of what fake forgiveness looks like. In fact, if, if you're a churchgoer, you've probably become a master of fake forgiveness. Here's how you know that you're still struggling. The mention of that person's name makes you shudder. You hear their name, and it just creates in you this emotional response in your heart. Have you guys ever noticed that when you're picking, anyone uh, expecting a baby anytime in the next five years? <laughs> I, I always, okay, so there's some of you, five years, is a long, that's a long pregnancy, but uh, <laughs> how many of you guys know how this works? That, that there's this name, and it could be a beautiful name, like uh, Gertrude or whatever, and, and that name that's so beautiful that everyone loves, if, if you ever met someone that you can't stand, do you pick that name? No, why? Because that's a terrible name. Because the sound of that name makes you shudder. If the sound of a name or the mention of a name makes you shudder, that's fake forgiveness. If you see them walking down the streets of Aberdeen or wherever you're from, 
and you walk the other way because you don't want to see their face, congratulations, that's fake forgiveness. If you're passive-aggressive with them, and you behave in a way that's passive-aggressive, and you secretly ensure that that person that's still in your life is being punished over and over and over again for the offenses of the past, then you have not forgiven, it's fake forgiveness. If your main objective is getting even, then forgiveness is not taking place. And so what we're doing is we're lying to ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. And what Jesus commands is to forgive. I'm gonna put the the next choice in Celebrate Recovery material on here and I want you to see it for what it is. It's a hard word, but I'm gonna just read it to you. You don't have to read it out loud. I kind of realized that maybe that was over the top. But I'm gonna read it to you, choice six. In your process of healing and becoming healed in, in Christ is this, evaluate all my relationships. How many are you supposed to evaluate? All of them, that's a lot, right? Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others. And there is a caveat here, I think it's important, except when to do so would harm them or others. And so there are these exceptions where specifically when you've hurt people, that it would hurt them worse if you pursued them. Now I think that's a minute part of the conversation. I don't think that's for the majority, but only you would know the difference, only you know what you've come out of, and so that's between you and Christ and maybe a mentor in your life that can speak with clarity to that. But the Bible talks about this in terms of no exceptions, that forgiveness is, no matter how bad the offense, a mandatory reality, not just for something that you need to do to be right with Christ, but something that you need to do to really have relational health with those people around you. And so with that being said, we're gonna answer some questions like we've been doing each week. Number one, why should I forgive? Why? Theologically speaking, it's very simple, and we'll move on, because God has forgiven you. Because that's why we took communion this morning. I heard this said, I wanna read it to you. You will never forgive anyone else more than God has already forgiven you. In fact, I can relate to this one as well in counseling. It's a fact that people who feel forgiven find it easier to be forgiving. So God mandates this in our life. God has forgiven you. That's why we took communion this morning. So here's something a little deeper that we're gonna spend some time on. The second reason that we have to forgive others is because resentment, write it down. If you don't write stuff down, write this one down. This could be an aha moment in your life. Because resentment does not work. It does not work. There there are things that are going on in your heart that are hindering you from health. And when you hold on to resentment, it's unreasonable, it's unhelpful, and it's unhealthy. Holding on to resentment hurts you more. This is ironic. This is counterintuitive. but This is real. Holding on to resentment and anger towards someone else hurts you way more, way more, trust me, way more than the person that you're resenting. In my experience, personally, and listening to people, your blood pressure is going up, your thoughts are scattered, your stomach is turned, your sleep is lost, and in my experience, they sleep like a baby. They don't even know anything's wrong, and you can't even function. 
In my experience, it's not something that goes away quickly. It's just something that lies dormant. Then when you choose not to forgive, this stuff can go on and on and on. 20, 30 years. Here's another reason that resentment doesn't work. Resentment cannot change the past. It cannot change the problem. And it cannot change the person who hurt you. Resentment doesn't even hurt the person that hurt you. That's all on you. That is the own manifestation of unforgiven sin in your own life when you choose not to forgive. Resentment never makes you feel better. I have never heard anyone say, I feel so much better in my heart being resentful. Right? Said no one ever. This yellow tape around your heart that's allowing you to not forgive is just poisoning you. Resentment is like a cancer that literally eats you alive. Resentment is an emotional poison with physical consequences consequences in your life. I'm just throwing a bunch of stuff at you. I'm hoping that some of it sticks. Here's another one. This one is a fact. Resentment is a broken record in the recesses of your mind that keeps playing over and over and over again. And it keeps playing and it keeps hurting. And this this one is real. Hear me say this. And it keeps draining you. It's literally sucking the life out of you. Resentment does not work on any level. And, And here, and I'm just kind of like upping the ante on each thing that I say. Hear me say this. Resentment allows for that person to continue to hurt you, even though they don't know it, Resentment allows for that person to continue to hurt you over and over and over again as the broken record is not taken off the track. Resentment is literally tied to research and linked to a shorter life expectancy as well as, for certain, a lower quality of life while you're still living. Resentment doesn't work. You have to forgive. You have to forgive. Here's the last one to the answer to the first question. Because you will need forgiveness in the future. Why do you need to forgive others? Because trust me, you're gonna need it yourself. There are gonna be things that happen and you cannot receive what you're unwilling to give. That's that's the whole essence of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. John Wesley said several hundred years ago, we all need need what we don't wanna give. And we're gonna need this forgiveness in the future. And so here's the second question relating to our need to forgive other people, and it's the how. How do I forgive others? All these stories in the Bible, there's the situation, and then you see the command, and then you don't know anything else about the rest of the narrative of that person's life more often than not. Whether it be the woman at the well, the woman pouring perfume on Jesus' feet, the woman that's caught in adultery, you say Jesus, you see Jesus say to them, go and sin no more, and then you don't really see the how. You don't see the manifestation of all these little steps in their life and how that played out for them. And so what we're trying to do in this sermon series is give you the how, to give you the practical that's helped over 33 million people that are followers of Christ through Celebrate Recovery. And so how do you actually do this? Here is where it gets incredibly practical. I'm gonna give you insight as to how your mind ticks and to how your heart stirs. How do you forgive others? The first step is this, reveal your heart. Write it down, reveal your heart. There are three psychological things that are taking place in your heart that you probably don't even quite realize. You have three core choices when dealing with your emotions and your inability to forgive. You're gonna do one of three things. I'm gonna list them off right now. 
You're either gonna repress them, you're gonna suppress them, or you're gonna confess them. The third one didn't rhyme, so I changed the verbiage so that we could all walk in that and remember it and walk out of church together. All right, so I'm gonna say it again. There are three things that you're gonna do on a psychological level that you might not realize you're doing when it comes to walking through a process of forgiveness. The third one is the only one that works. You have to reveal your heart. When you deal with your emotions, you're either gonna repress, suppress, or confess. Let me define them so we all know what we're talking about. To repress something is about pretending that it doesn't even exist. The problem is it manifests in some type of compulsion in your life. That the, the human heart is like a volcano, and when it does things like repress, you, you can even fool your mind, but you, you can't necessarily fool your heart. And so it's going to manifest, it's going to explode on some level because it was never designed to repress. It's about pretending that something does not exist. Suppression's a little bit different. In fact, suppression is the Midwestern tactic of all tactics to deal with your stuff. Suppression is different than repression. It admits that it exists, but it tells itself that it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, that happened to me, but hey, look at me. Things happen. Yeah, I had a terrible relationship with my father, but you know what? Everyone makes mistakes. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Sometimes marriages end, and you know, uh, he was unfaithful, but you know, hey, we all make mistakes. I'm not saying we don't all make mistakes. I'm just saying there's a good chance that you're suppressing and you're admitting it, but you're not dealing with the emotions behind it. You're either repressing, suppressing, and the Bible tells us to confess. To confess those things that are in the recesses of our heart so that we can find healing in Christ. Write this down. You cannot get over the hurt until you admit the pain. You cannot get over the hurt until you admit the pain. And our goal as a church is to be a different people than the way that we came into this place. And so we have to confess. And it requires that we break through the yellow tape. Once you've revealed the hurt, you'll be in a position to forgive. And this is critical. You you cannot. You talk about fake forgiveness. You cannot forgive a hurt that you can't even admit. How do you forgive others? You reveal your heart. You confess it. This isn't kind of a big deal. This is a massive wound in my life. And I could be man enough or I can be woman enough to just own the fact that I'm not okay. The second thing is this. To pursue forgiving others, you have to release the offender. And what's so critical about that process is that that does not need to take place when the offender seeks forgiveness and it's usually not gonna play out that way. I remember my dad told me one time, we were talking in the front yard and there were these people in our lives that uh, we didn't talk to anymore. And specifically, one person had been very offensive. My dad was an avoider. I'm an avoider. He made me look like a confrontational person. And he told me in the front yard, he said, well, I said, why have we not dealt with this? And he said, they haven't asked for forgiveness. And I, I never forgot that statement from my father. And the reason I bring that up is, 
releasing the offender has nothing to do with them and what they do for you. It usually isn't going to take place that way. Our choice is independent of the other person. To release the offender is independent on anything that they do or don't do. And for them to pursue you is probably the exception, not the rule. It's probably not going to happen that way. And this sounds really selfish, but hear me say this. To do this, to release the offender is more about you and Jesus and your relationship with him and what he commands you to do as a follower of Christ, no matter how painful the event, to release the offender from your heart, to reveal it and release it, has more to do with that vertical stuff going on with you and Christ himself than it does with you and that other person. And when you don't do this, resentment creeps in. And when you do do this, this is critical. I just want to make sure I'm saying all the things that you need to maybe hear to walk through this process. When you go through this, just know this as well. Here's a huge misconception as to how this works. It's just like healing. When I told you a few weeks ago, uh, sometimes when you have these issues in your life, and you have these stories, you have these charismatic stories of people saying, I had this desire to do this, and then, you know, I gave it to the Lord, and I never had that desire again. You remember talking about that? It's like, I, I smoked cigarettes for 33 years, and then I said, Jesus, no more cigarettes, and I never was addicted to nicotine again. I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just saying that's the exception and not the rule. And for 98% of people, the patch helps, right? It's the same way with Forgiveness. You give it to the Lord, and then nothing creeps back in your heart, and they're completely forgiven, and you walk in peace, and you want the best for them. Here's what I'm telling you just on a practical level. That might be your story, or it might be that you reveal and that you release, and then five days later, you reveal and you release and you reveal and you release and that forgiveness is this process and not a one and done deal in your life. And if you think it's a one and done deal, you're gonna be incredibly discouraged when those feelings start creeping back into your heart. Are you tracking? Because maybe you've been told things that aren't true and then when it doesn't play out that way in your life, you quit. How do you know that this process is actually manifesting in your life? Well, here, here's some evidence. You see them or you interact with them. You know what's taking place. You've owned what's taking place. But you truly want the best for them. You don't forget what happened. You might not ever have the same relationship with them because some of your stories is that wouldn't be safe. That would be really stupid. But when you start to see them, this is how you know you're moving forward. You start to see them through the lens of Christ and what Christ wants to do in their life, the freedom that Christ wants to give them. Here's another one. How do you forgive others? You replace the hurt with God's peace. You, you have this understanding that comes from Romans 14 where Paul talks about God being the one who settles the score. God being the one that takes all things to an account. God being the one who, in essence, balances the emotional and spiritual books. What rules in your heart, as you, you hear these things and they start to kind of aggravate you, what rules in your heart in this moment? Is it the peace of Christ or is it the misery of unforgiveness? This is a two-part deal. I'm gonna say it one more time so that we can all walk into it together. Whatever happened to you to bring you to a place where someone has wounded you is not your fault, specifically if it's related to abuse. 
specifically if it's related to your childhood, that would be demonic for me to somehow blame you for that. That would be insane, okay? But no matter what's happened to you, your response to that thing has to be owned. Because the response to the thing is oftentimes had more counterproductive things happen in your life, more sin happen in your life than you want to admit, and you'll never move forward if you don't own that. And so there are people, not only that you need to forgive, there are people as a result of things that you've done in your life to have these healthy, Christ-centered relationships that you need to pursue. And the third question is this, why do you make amends with those who have, you have hurt? Same principle, Jesus commands it. Jesus tells us to. He says in this text, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come off after and offer your gift. And so there, there's this space when we talk about forgiveness. We always talk about forgiveness in new life through this lens of you need to forgive people who have hurt you. But there's this whole other reality as we now become Christians and we have this emotional and spiritual baggage that we bring to the table. There are a lot of people, if we're gonna do an inventory, that we have hurt because hurt people do what? Hurt people. Jesus commands it. And the second thing is this, unresolved relationships are roadblocks to recovery. In sports, you hear this saying from coaches all the time, you can't skip the process. Unresolved relationships are roadblocks to recovery. Here's the last question. How do you make amends with those who have hurt you? You've hurt. What do you do? Right? Make a list. Write it down. Make a list. Take this moral inventory of people that have hurt you that you need to forgive and then people that you have hurt that, that you need to pursue forgiveness with. And some of the topics could be maybe it's debt unpaid. Hopefully you weren't saved yet when you were robbing people of money, but we all do stuff, Right? Broken promises, people you've manipulated out of your own insecurity, people you've been hypercritical of because you didn't get your way, people that you have abused in a variety of fashions, probably most commonly emotionally. Maybe before you were a follower of Christ or maybe even once you confessed Christ as Savior, you had some things happen in your marriage where you weren't exactly a class act. Maybe you were unfaithful or maybe you were a liar. Whatever your situation is, Make a list, their name, what you said, what you did, how it made them feel, and why you are sorry. And the second thing I would say about that is this. You make a list if you want to make these amends, but think about how you would like someone to make amends to you. I mean, there's a right way and a wrong way to walk through this process of forgiveness. If you have hurt someone on a very deep level, then timing is critical. Find a place where it allow for them to feel comfortable. Do it privately. Right? Don't, don't wait for them to walk out of a Starbucks and say, hey, can I talk to you? For, remember, remember that time I was unfaithful to you? I mean, come there, there is a right way and a wrong way to deal with this stuff from our past to receive the healing that God has for us. Another thing is this, humility, humility, humility. When you ask for forgiveness, don't ever make justifications for your behavior because that's not asking for forgiveness. Don't ever ask for forgiveness and then say, hey, you know, the other things that you did to me, that's not the time. That's not humble. And, and then also this, this reality is that there's an appropriateness to it. If there are things you've done relationally that have wounded someone else greatly, maybe it's a past marriage, there's an appropriateness to these types of conversations. If they have remarried and they have moved on, then you just need to kind of bring that to Jesus and leave them alone. 
And so having a mentor is critical to knowing the difference and having the word of God and having an active prayer life. The harsh truth is this, the more serious the offense, the less likely you will be able to make amends, but that doesn't mean you can't try and that doesn't mean that you still don't bring it to Christ even if you never bring it to them. The mandate of the word of God is to refocus our lives and orientate it on the gospel. And the exciting part is when we start to take these steps, that God uses our story and Christ is glorified even in our recycled garbage of our life where he uses our story and refocuses and reorientates our life around the gospel in a way where we start living and acting differently in how we forgive and how we pursue forgiveness. I want to close with this idea. I'm going to read it on my phone. There's a story that I want you to hear. Uh, here's, here's some of your, your stories. Here's definitely my story. I want to I bring it to light because I think it affects a lot of us. Here's a painful reality of forgiveness and pursuing it. Is that some of those people that have hurt us the worst, we are in no position to pursue. And one of the reasons why is they're not even living anymore. Or if they are living, they're not even in a place cognitively where they could handle this type of serious interaction. And so there are these times where you cannot physically go to them and try to make things right. And so what do you do with those scenarios? I want to read you a story of how someone did that. This guy in this material says, Dear Mom, he said, this is long overdue. He says, I'm not sure what's taken me so long to write you. And he says, well, that's not quite true. There are many reasons. I started writing to you in the past, but I'd get stuck and quit. He says, maybe I wasn't ready before now. It's probably best that I waited. And I've been working my recovery. I have finally found the clarity to be honest with myself and to be honest with you. It's been 20 years since I walked out of your apartment an angry, lost, wounded teenager and jumped into my car and took off. I have never looked back until now and I have regrettably blamed you for many of the messes I've made in my life. He says, maybe I blamed you then because uh, I, because I, he says, maybe I blamed you because then I wouldn't have to clean them up. Whether it be the divorce in grade school, the moving from house to house, the many relationships you got into and out of that affects me far beyond what you were willing to admit. Your decisions impacted many people. Your decisions impacted me, and I hated you for it. I protected and forgave you until something broke that night nearly two decades ago, and it seems like I've been limping along emotionally since then. I have anger towards you, and it's always uh, seemed a place, my anger towards you has always seemed a safe place to store and release my pain. I am not sure when it stopped working. I imagine it never really did work. And looking back at the 20 years of hating you, I have seen a heart hardened towards a mom who was just as broken and lost as I was. I have, I'm also seeing a heart hardened towards everyone, including God. I think it makes sense to me now what Jesus said in Matthew 6, that if I do not forgive, I, will not, I won't be forgiven. It's not that God can't forgive me, it's that my heart is not breathing when I un, have unforgiveness. I am not inhaling grace and I'm not ex, uh, exhaling grace. Without forgiveness, my heart has been dead. Sometimes I see someone who reminds me of you. I often look at my daughters and wonder what if I was, 
uh, what it would be like for them to know their grandma Chrissy. In some ways, I still can't believe you're gone. You were so alive, larger than life. Your laugh was loud and unashamed. I hear your laugh and Rose, my youngest. I am sorry, Mom. I will not blame you for my choices. I believe your choices, even the bad ones, are being redeemed in my life for God's glory. I am sorry I wasted the time we had here together being angry. My comfort and hope is that we will see each other again and there will be no more pain and no more tears. He concludes, my sponsor and I are going to decide what to do with this letter. You are never far from my thoughts. I love you, Mom. I I don't know how you come into this place. That might just be a quick letter and you're like, when are you going to close this thing out? But for me, that's very real. For someone who has a a relationship with a parent that didn't go, go well, Whatever your story, we walk into this space, and and hear me say this. I'm going to close in prayer. And we are spinning our tires spiritually because there is this piece of the puzzle that we have justified on some sort of level and said, I don't have to go that route. It doesn't apply to me. And it is keeping you from this intimate relationship with Christ that will ultimately bring healing in your life so that you can be a vessel for someone else. That as we close this thing out next week, I'm just just challenging you with this as your pastor. Will you take an honest inventory and say, there are people that I have acted like I have forgiven, that when I take these tests that Rodney's laying out before me, I fail miserably. There are people that I am going to choose to forgive And then when those feelings keep coming back, I'm going to choose to forgive. And when they keep coming back, I'm going to choose to forgive. And there are other people that if I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be this light in the midst of darkness in this community, there are people that I have offended. There are people that I have wounded. There are people that I have treated wrongly on all sorts of levels. And I am going to walk in victory and I'm going to pursue people that I have wounded because I am committed to healing relationships because Christ has provided a way for me to have a healing relationship with himself. That I was dead in my sins and now I'm alive in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would use this time that right now in just this moment of silence real quick that you would reveal to us people that we need to forgive. that you would reveal to us people that we need to pursue forgiveness with so that, so that we can get the healing needed to be a follower of Christ that's making a powerful impact in the world around us. We pray these things in your precious and holy name and everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.